Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Before we start today's show, how does the offer of free beer sound to you? As mentioned on the last couple of podcasts, we have an exclusive offer with Beer 52. Beer 52 are offering Wisdom listeners a unique offer that will only be available for the next couple of weeks. To get a free case of eight beers, head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom or use the code wisdom at beer52.com when ordering. And all you have to do is cover the postage cost of £5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. We've been sent a couple of boxes to the office and the Escapist IPA from Temperance Beer has been a real favourite. The boxes are genuinely very cool. There's a good mix of different types of beers and the packaging of the cans is very is very funky. The kind of cans that you don't really want to throw away. Your package comes with a magazine and two snacks. And if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option instead. You can pause or cancel the subscription at any time. So head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom to order your package today. Anyway, on with the show. India go 2-1 up after another thrilling test, this time at the Oval. I'm Yaz Rana, and to talk through it all with me today is former England cricketer Mark Butcher, magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and on the pod for the first time in a long time, the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Phil, welcome back. Are you re-energised? Oh yeah, I'm feeling on top of the world. Uh, it's a joy to be back, and uh, I've spent quite a lot of time at this ground in South London over the last few days, it's been a belter, yeah, an absolute belter. Returning to the scene of the crime. Um, let's start at the finish, that epic final day. England started it needing 291 to win, India needed 10 wickets. It started slowly but burst into life in a chaotic first hour after lunch. Jadeja and Boomer excellent on a flat wicket. Butch, a lot of listeners, and I, and I mean this, a lot of listeners are waiting for us to go all in on England, but India were absolutely fantastic on that final day. They were, they were fantastic on the final day. They were fantastic throughout the Test match, really. If you think about it, they batted in the worst of the conditions in both of their innings. 
Um, and they actually bowled in the worst of conditions, at least in the last innings, anyhow, in terms of uh, there being any assistance from cloud cover or the, the floodlights being on um, or anything else that you could come up with. Um, and so they are, they are so thoroughly deserving of being 2-1 up. It's, it's, it's nearly not funny. Um, clearly, England have got their problems, but clearly England have had their problems for a bloody long time. It wasn't just, <laughs> it wasn't just Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, India are, India are final day test match specialists, aren't they? You go back to them hanging on for the draw in Sydney, winning that thriller, thrilling run chase in Brisbane. Um, storming through England uh, at Lords in a game that they had no right to win whatsoever, um, and then you know yesterday was more understandable. Once once you'd had the the chance to see the difference between what was happening on Sunday night, um, flat flat flat, nothing happening whatsoever, uh, to the difference that happened on Monday morning, very sunny day, the second one in a row. Pitch a little bit dustier. The ball reverse swung, swung from the from the almost from the very first, and from that moment, you just thought, well, India are going to have control from both ends. Judasia bowling it into the rough outside the leg stump is not going to be so much of a problem because there's now a threat from the other end too, um, and that rather kiboshed um, any of England's hopes. They played really well up until lunch, and of course, you know, the opening partnership once again. Um, it, making great strides to kind of giving England a little bit of solidity at the top. It's only a very, um, a, a very fledgling partnership between Hamid and Burns at the moment, but it's already <laughs> surpassed quite a lot of the other ones that have happened in, yeah. the, in the last two, years. Two tests in, they already have more yeah. uh, 100 run opening stands than any partnership since yeah. Cook and Compton. And then, but then once, once that was broken and once, once you sort of saw how difficult it was going to be to get started, you know, to kind of to, to get your innings going from naught. You thought, well, the win is out of the equation pretty much from from lunchtime. Um, and then once that's the case, then it's just, I couldn't see how... The problem was, at the beginning of the day, you thought, well, there's no way you can lose on a pitch as, as flat as this. By the time you're sort of three quarters of the way through the first session, you're thinking, well, England are very unlikely to win. They should probably still cling on for the draw. After lunch, I'm thinking they're not, they won't hang on for the draw either. India will just blow them away. Um, and it was, they're very, very good. I mean, make no mistake, India are a very bloody good cricket team. Mm. Um, Joe, Boomer ended up only with, with two wickets, but I guess it was the nature of those wickets that, that were, were so exciting, bowling both Pope and Bairstow in quick succession. That's just something that England don't really have without Archer and without Wood in the side. No, and that did start to become apparent when uh, Rohit and Pujara batted for so long. It really felt like a, a bit of extra pace would have been needed then. I mean, I, I would have picked Wood ahead of this test, but I would have picked him ahead of Wokes. So that wouldn't that would have been the right way to go either because Wokes had a fantastic test match with, with bat and ball. Um, yeah, I'd, I mean, I, looking back to, to day one, I was here on day one and I really thought, I have to admit, I thought India were cooked in this match in the series. I thought the way that Headingley had gone it really felt like that game was drifting away. And I left the press box and went and joined a friend in the stand for a couple of hours just as um, Sheldal Thacker came out to bat. And really, I mean, took, not only did he take key wickets, but I think both those innings, particularly the first innings, really kind of turned the game. It didn't necessarily feel like it at the time. It felt like those were kind of a bit, uh, kind of bonus runs in an innings that probably wasn't going to be enough to keep them in the game. But looking back on it, that was a proper knock as well. And I, I, I wouldn't blame England's bowlers too much for that. They didn't fall into the trap that they did with Boomer and Shammy at, at Lords, where they kept bowling short. There were a couple of short deliveries, but that wasn't a ploy. Most of the shots he's were playing were just proper cricket shots in, in both innings. And, and second knock, in the second innings, he was a bit more patient um, and still played some fabulous shots. And 
and got things going with the dismissal of, of Burns on uh, on the fifth day, which was uh, a lovely ball, which kind of came out of nowhere at that point. Um, but yeah, Bumrah's dismissal of Best, though, I think will be, for me, the kind of abiding memory of, of that final day to a brilliant test match. Mm. Um, Phil, explain Shardul Thaka to me. Uh, he looks pretty innocuous with the ball, and but ends up taking the wickets of Pope on 81, Root on 36 in the second innings, and Burns on 50 just after he reached the milestone. He averages 16 with the bat in first-class cricket, but he scores two mat-turning 50s where he looked in control. It, it wasn't a chancing number nine. He, there were proper cricket shots in there. Yeah, and the second innings was probably even more impressive than the first because in the first innings there was that sense, well, eight down, throw the bat, see where you get to. I mean, clean hitting, don't get me wrong. And drew focus away from Rishabh Pant in the first innings where he'd kind of, you know, thrown out out the white flag. It was a peculiarly sort of surrender-like innings. It was almost like the pitch was so wildly unplayable that Rishabh was just going to run down a pitch and whack it up in the air. Shardell played proper cricket shots. Um, the shot to get to get to 50 from, I think, 31 balls. Quickest 50 ever at, at the Oval. Uh, in uh, Test in cricket? In, in, England, England, was in it? England, yeah. In, 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 in England, in yeah. Test cricket in England, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the shot that he, he brought it up with, you know, clubbed it over mid-wicket, but clean as, a, clean as a whistle. And it was fabulous to see. As a bowler, he's like Mark Elam on steroids. And, and yet, underestimate those kinds of bowlers in England. And he really got it going on that final day. That delivery round the wicket to Rory Burns, which gripped, held its line, moved a little bit off the seam. There was an element of fortune in that it was a scrambled seam and then it just happened to kiss that left side of the seam perfectly and then it just veered away from Burns' outside edge and nicked it off. He got it going. He should have been man of the match, by the way. Rohit Sharma looked marvellous innings, but he was dropped twice. Shardell should have been man of the I match, com- and yet I completely agree. I think, I think yeah. I, you know, I think that's absolute nonsense. Because Rohit, India, a hundred behind on first innings. He bats in the dark against against Robinson and, and Anderson, a bloke with six hundred Test wickets, um, and gets them and gets them to a point where they are miles in front in the Test match. And, and if Rory Burns had opened his eyes, he didn't. Caught, caught him for, for well, 10 I mean, or 12, that's, whatever it was. But that's not, but that's, I'm not just, his, that's not his fault, though, is it? Sure, sure. But if you, you, know, you could argue the toss either way, but what Shardell did was take them from 120 for, for, for basically done in the first innings to 190. And that, in the context of that day, was pretty crucial. And then that partnership... On the fourth, third, third fourth if, he, day. if he hadn't done that, England might have been all out by the end of day one. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. All he did was den- delay the wickets that India got in a set. No, I, listen. But but look, but that, that how many did they win the game with, by? With they Pants. won the game by. They won the uh, game by in the second innings. That 150 was, that was runs and Rohit made 127. Sure, in a but, game but where he, nobody else made but he made 110 and nicked off Burns. And got root out with his first ball of his final spell. I so, thought his first. Anyway, look, the argue the toss. They're a good side and an inspired selection. When yeah, Coley was being laughed out of town on Thursday morning for leaving the great man on the bench yet again. Which I, which is still weird and, and wrong. They both <laughs> be in the team, but yeah, I thought the first four balls of Shardell's spell on the final day just summed him up. First three balls, Burns takes him for mm. six, easy. Mm. And you're like, oh, pressure's off massively here. And then he bowls absolute peaks to get rid of him. Um, but Mike asks, India are just better than England, right? Hasn't this series gone more or less as we expected it to? I just don't see how England can win series against good teams with such a fragile batting lineup. I've seen a few people on Twitter ask, when was the last time England's second best batsman aside had an average of 35? It's been a very mm. long time since that's happened. Yeah, and not yeah. to win that many test matches 
when that's the case. No, and, and generally what generally how England sort of go about being uh, a good side at home is because their bowlers are able to to do the same to, to the opposition as theirs do do to us. You know, Joe. Root, I mean, the thing is, Joe Root has played utterly magnificently in this in this series, and 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 they're two one down, and deservedly two one down. Could be three, couldn't it? Joe Root's probably batted as well as he's ever played um, in his career. Uh, they are a very good team. I mean, look, the funny thing is, is that they're kind of beating us with, with a lot of the deficiencies that we have ourselves. I mean, we're, we're not able to leave our best player on the bench. That's, that's for granted. That's not happened. But they've got numbers three, four and five are hardly contributing at all. Our number four in route is, is making a lot of runs, but, the, but our middle order is getting blown away. Um, you know, the, the Bearstow dismissal, as fabulous as that was, I would have had, if, if I had a spare 15 grand in my pocket, I would have put, I'd have put all of that on him getting and Bummer getting him out of LBW just quietly anyway. But that's a, another thing by the by. Um, you know, they've, they've struggled for runs. They've, they've done it by virtue of the fact that they've got two opening batsmen, I think, who have played in English conditions as well as I've seen anybody over the last five years. Both of them, Rahul and Rohit. They're marvellous. They have played. And, and the thing I love about that the most, and, I, and, and forgive me if I've said this on the pod before, but is that they're two blokes who are capable of utter carnage with the white ball as well. And it doesn't look to me as though they changed their method terrifically um, between one format and the other. There's a lesson for you there, kids. <laughs> watch, watch proper batsmen because they can play both ways. Um, you know, and so, and so a lot of what they've been able to do has been because they haven't ended up being, being 25 for three and Anderson hasn't sort of run through them in every game. It's kind of given India enough breathing space to make the runs, albeit they didn't do it in the first innings here. Um, at, at the Oval. And, and of course, bowling-wise, I think that the two teams are pretty evenly matched as long as the conditions are unlike the way they were on Monday. I saw another, there was another question I, I caught just before I came in about, you know, why, why, did, why do England lose more at the Oval than anywhere else? Well, because the Oval is more like overseas conditions exactly. than anywhere else. The Oval is a five-day pitch. Yeah. And there are times when it's tough and there's yeah. times when you've got to grind it out. And what you saw mm. from an English fan's perspective was a rather chilling afternoon where the ball was ramrod straight, nothing happened, and thoughts did wander to further assignments down the line. And with a bunch of medium-fast toilers and, all right, a genius who's 39 and a half, you do start to wonder. Yeah, and, and Mark is absolutely right. Uh, in, India, India won that test match because... They have uh, more class, more, 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 more talent, I would say, player for player. But also they have in Bumrah, they have the special one. They have that, that Wakar Wazim types outlier of a bowler. And what you saw in that final day, it's interesting. There's been hardly, that I've read anyway, there hasn't been too many hang the lot of them responses from English writers, hacks, scribes. Twitterati and so on because sometimes you do just have to bow down to, to brilliance like up, off the charts brilliance and that spell six overs three maidens six wickets two six runs two wickets um, the nature of those two as well to clean bowl two players on a day five pitch where you just take it out of the equation completely sometimes you just have to bow down but I'm taking 100 wickets now 22 of those wickets are ducks so it just shows you how Bloody difficult it is to go out and face a bowler like that. He also he also takes. I mean, he's the he's the absolute Anderson in reverse. He also takes all his wickets in the second innings and not in the first innings. He he wants the conditions to get 
flat. He needs the ball to sort of be reverse swinging. He needs to, to be bowling at a time where bringing the stumps into play is, is the way forward. And that's kind of, again, that's, that goes back to the whole thing about sort of overseas type conditions. I mean, if the sun hadn't come out in the last two days, England might well have won the, won the test match. They might well have had enough in the tank with the ball to kind of to restrict um, India to, to a lead of, you know, of, of around 300 rather than 370. Um, and, and then the batting conditions would have been more benign, um, you know, without the reverse swing and without the sort of, you know, the, the, the rough becoming ever more spiteful. And they may well have got home. But as soon as you saw weather that was, that was kind of like summer, <laughs> you thought, Which we haven't well, had a lot of this we could, we could be in serious trouble here. And j- just to go back to that question about are India just a better side I mean that's why I don't feel particularly inclined to go in with both feet on England here because I actually think the golfing class between the sides is probably bigger than has been show far, so, shown so far in this series England are a bit lucky to be where they are if Root hadn't been playing at the absolute top of his game this could have been about as one-sided a home series defeat as, as you could imagine really um, you could say there are other England players who haven't stepped up, but I'm not sure that's necessarily true. If you, if you look at the, the records that those England players have, and I'm talking about the England side they can put on the park in this series, not England's best test side, I don't think many players are massively underperforming, and, and that's almost more of a concern, really. Um, whereas actually India have got another level to go up to. Kohli's not got 100. Pant has been in no kind of form. Um Bumrah has bowled brilliantly, but not taken stacks of wickets throughout. Ashwin hasn't even got a game. So th- these are the things that concern me most. That actually, yeah, I, I think England are, are kind of slightly fortunate to be where they are in the series, still the with a chance of ex- levelling it. Expectation. I mean, the, the reason why the reason why I'm going to sit here and have a, have a massive go at them all is because the expectations are that that's pretty much, you know, when Pope makes 80 in the first innings, you, you're thinking that I'm, I'm really really bloody pleased for him it gives it buys him more breathing space to figure out um you know to figure out where he's at and and figure out how to bring the bat down in a straight line um you know all of these types of things and and it will keep people off his back for a little while um you know but as as for the other guys uh, joe root aside um you know, what was it, 35 is, the, is this kind of the next best average to, to Joe's 50. Well, Joe's so made 600s this year, yeah. one other 100 between all of them combined. Yeah. It was Rory Burns, I think, against New Zealand. And yeah, and you're, so you're kind of, people, are, people are, are performing at their level. I guess the question, the question for those howling, um, you know, for changes and whatever are, are, is, you know, is there anybody else out there? Have we, are we overlooking, are the selectors um, treating some people in county cricket who aren't getting the gig? Um, you know, extremely unfairly, and, and my my feeling on that is probably no. I mean, I can't think of anybody that's really saying I am going to be doing a damn sight better than these guys. There's a, there's a couple of fellows I think can really really play, and again, forgive me if I if I mentioned them last week, but Abel and and uh, of Somerset and Brook of um, of Yorkshire in terms of guys who have uncapped. Brook scored uh, an amazing hundred this week, by the way. Uh, yeah, scored I mean, they're, they're, they're two two blokes who I think are fabulously talented yeah. players. But again, you know, you, are, you, are we saying that in order to turn things round or in order to look a more solid side, you need to chuck in two blokes on debut in, at, at numbers three and three and five, and everything will be fine? Probably not. You know, in terms in terms of selection uh, from players sort of within the group. I mean, Jack Leach obviously talked about on last week's show, and I think there's a sense amongst all of us that he's been treated a bit unfairly. It's hard to imagine he wouldn't have done a better job than Moen with the ball, who bowled what, almost 30 overs without bowling a maiden as a spinner. I mean, that, that's, that says a lot there, really. But then, Moen obviously brings other things to the side, and, and we've got an issue of balance, and without Stokes there, Moen is attempting pick. So again, mm. I, 
I think Leach is unfortunate and he's back in the squad and I guess there's a decent chance he might play at Old Trafford. But I wouldn't hammer the selectors on that one either. We were all quite keen for Moen to, to get back in and saw the benefit of it at the time. Mm. Um, we On last week's show, we compared this series to, to other ones in the past. I think this is becoming quite similar in a way to the India-Australia series last winter in that Australia's quicks, who would start the series brilliantly, bowl them out for 36 Adelaide and all that, progressively got a bit worse as they just didn't rotate their side at all throughout the series. And I think you saw a bit of that on a really hot day here at the Oval over the weekend. Um, do you think the workload, Phil, of Anderson and Robinson could be, could be a problem going into Manchester? <sighs> they bowled a lot of overs this, they, this they summer. They have. I was here I was here for most of it and I, I watched, watched Anderson in the field um, and he was tired. There's no doubt about it. He was knackered. And it took him about five minutes to get from one side of the pitch to the other at tea time on day four, I think it was. Um, or maybe day three. And the as Mark alluded to earlier, this discrepancy between Anderson first dig and second dig is quite dramatic. Um, I think over three seasons now, he's averaging north of 100 per wicket in the second innings in English conditions. Less than 16 in the first innings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know... <laughs> And Boomer's, Boomer's sort of 12 in the second yeah. innings and, and 60 in the first. Yeah. Um, it'd be a brave man to tap Anderson on the shoulder. To be honest, and say, on your own ground, from your own end, <laughs> you're not going to play. Um, I would have personally rested. I'm not being wise after the event. I'd have, I'd have rested him for the Oval. I would have rested him for this game, I think. I think it doesn't matter who you are. Back-to-back, doesn't matter what age you are. Back-to-back test matches when you are lugging your bowling attack on your shoulders... Uh, and when everybody turns to you time after time, that is a big ask, whoever you are. Five yeah, back to back. I, I kind of, I, I, agree, I do kind of agree with that, but he wouldn't have been the one that I'd have left out for this one. I kind of, my feeling was this, this was the test match. If you're going to win the series, then it had to be this one. Don't know what's going to happen weather-wise at Manchester. You know, we don't know what the, don't, the pitch is. The pitch could be very, very dry and could turn. I mean, everything that I've seen up there has been like that all the way through. So my kind of feeling was going into this one that you kind of had to go with what you thought your absolute best team was, regardless of, of tiredness. And, and you know, I'm not. That's that's not me having a having a dig. That's just that's how I how I read it at the time. It has to be this one. Don't worry about next week. Um, the, the one I suppose that you'd look at is you go well Craig Overton kind of as a fourth seamer why didn't you play Mark Wood and, and you, you know it might be because they wanted a few extra runs out of Overton but the oval being the oval the, see the, one of the things here that, that kind of is so stark to me is that England and this is because of the way our cricket's played in this country we generally will pick a, a, a team whether it be in four day cricket or five day cricket for the first two days of a test match um, and, and opposition teams will pick a team for, you know, for what happens at the, the business end or at least have a contingency for what might happen um, when things change later on in the game. And it's always been a weakness of ours. It's always been a failing of ours. And part of that is because you can't trust the weather. But, um, you know, to, to, go into the, to go into the team with a four-day championship-style bowling, bowling lineup um, for, a, for a match in May... Um, at the Oval in, in September is so fraught with danger, it's not even funny. Um, the whole thing about the spinner and, and, and Moe and Ali, I mean, Christ, I don't know how many times I've gone on about this, but, you know, you end up in a position where, yes, you, we need to pick Moe and Ali to balance the side, but you've also given yourself absolutely no clue of what else you might be able to do. That's why you end up back in the same place that you were in three years ago. Jack Leach hasn't bowled a ball since India. Hasn't bowled a ball since India. 
Um, and, you know, people are talking about Matt Parkinson maybe playing at, at, at Old Trafford, playing two spinners at, at Old Trafford. England aren't playing two spinners at Old Trafford. Even if the thing looks like high-grade sandpaper, they're not playing two spinners at Old Trafford. Most of the time, they don't want to play one. And the only reason, the only reason they play one is because he bats as well. You know, it's kind of... And that drives me insane. Um, and to think that you're going to go to Australia and try and, you know, that I'm hearing that the plan in Australia is that we're going to play five quicks in Australia. Well, good luck. Good luck with that. Mm. That'll go real well. So I can't remember <laughs> if you mentioned it on the start of the show, but Leach and Butler called back in yeah. to the squad. Um, yeah, I, look, I never disagree with you. Uh, but, <laughs> you can. but out of desperation, they'll be playing five bowlers anyway at Old Trafford. I think... Moeen probably does play for the, the balancing the side reason, if not much else. And in brackets, that 35, he, he you know, gave it away, didn't he, in that first Phil, Phil, Phil I'm not, I'm not, that's, saying, that's, he that's I'm not saying he shouldn't be playing. I'm saying, I'm saying absolutely you, you he should be playing. playing. Yeah. No, no, I, I absolutely see him playing and I think he absolutely should be in the side. But we kind of, we end up back in this position because it's the only option that you have. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and again, that's the thing I'm disagreeing with. Not that I think he should be in the side. Yes, mm. absolutely. Well, he, but he bowled as well as, as you would imagine Mo and Ali to bowl. He kind of couldn't, he couldn't give the seamers enough of a rest because he couldn't yeah. bowl tight enough. He bowled the odd brilliant delivery you know got got rid of Coley again caught, caught it slip mm. did all of the mowing things but it's kind of like that's not you couldn't have said to him on the final day Mo can you lock an end up for us while we get it reversed because that's we get not it him the it never end? has been no they would have gone at four or five and over sure. and you'd have been panicking about them chasing it down yeah so, just, so that's just, that's my issue yeah just, just just to just to clarify just to go back a wee bit it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the Mo question so much it was whether they dare play two at Old Trafford and I know that everything points to it culturally in our history and I can remember the last time they played too, you know, and, and people, pe- people are scandalised by the notion. Um, but at Old Trafford, if it is dry, now I know there's a bit, of, a bit of that going on, but if it were to be dry, and it has been up this season, then out of desperation, do you pull one of your, your seamers out and do you, do you throw Leach the ball if Leach is their option, as, and he is because he's the one who's been called up? That, that, to me, would be a more attacking move in this instance. Um, I, I would personally, I would look at look at Wood for a potential reverse swing, and I would certainly consider playing playing one and a half spinners, two spinners in effect with with Moeen mm. as your all round. I would I would certainly consider it. Do you think with Wokes in the batting form that he's in, and one of Overton Robertson possibly being able to bat eight, you can have Wokes at seven um, in your rounder spot, Overton slash Robinson eight. And then you do have room for... Bit, bit of a drag when everyone's spinner. averaging 28 with the bat, isn't it? And, and you've yeah. got, you got the longest tail out there. What do you think, Joe? Um, I don't have an issue with Wokes at seven so much. It's what comes after, after that, that yeah. really. And I think that's... I think my, I, I would back Wokes to score as many runs if not more than Moen at, at seven at the moment. But yeah, if you've, if you've then got kind of Leach, Wood, Anderson, Robinson, I guess it would be. That's, that's not a hell of a lot batting. Yeah. Uh, in a game you need to win. Um, I'd, I'd be surprised if, I, if Robinson makes it for the last one. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it I, was, I, d- I did think the way... We're going back on the Anderson question. I would definitely play him at the Oval for the reasons that Butch gives. I think if you, that, that was the game. That felt like the game you had to win, especially with the players that England got out at the moment. But with that in mind, it did feel very odd the way that Root used him in that second innings. I mean, he bowled... There was one stage where he bowled almost twice as many overs as Overton at a time when it felt like, particularly when you look at Anderson's second innings record, he didn't feel much more like taking a wicket than Overton. So that felt not the smartest move at that time. Maybe Anderson saying, give me the ball, give me the ball. I mean, his face didn't look like that, but then it, it really does. 
Um, so, and now it does leave them in a bit of a pickle when it comes to the five, fifth test because, as Butch is saying, Robinson could do with a rest. Anderson could probably do with a rest. But this is a game they need to win and they've been their best two bowlers in the series. And also a lot of the, the, the reserve quicks are, are out as well. Sakima Mood, Bryden Cars, who have at various points been reserve quicks, are... Uh, do have bo- both have injury doubts at the moment. Uh, Overton as well also went off in a lot of pain. Is yeah, he, I, I don't know. Fit, I don't know if he's available. He's in the squad. He's yeah, in the that, squad well, that was his. But... That was his right elbow, wasn't it? That, that mm. ball absolutely smashed into. He looked like he was in in proper. Tr- I mean, that could just be funny bone and yeah. you know nasty nerve reaction, but that could be something more serious. It, we don't it, know. It did. It did strike me looking at that bowling side out there and how uh, toothless it was. Um, and this is not making excuses, but the reality is that probably England's four fastest bowlers through the air weren't playing and three for in, three well two for injury reasons in Ollie Stone and Joffre Archer the Ben Stokes issue um, and obviously Mark Wood wasn't picked so you have four there one of whom was available but three weren't now I'm not saying that that would have changed the outcome of the game but it does change the complexion of your attack it does change the, the identity of your attack it, it does but you but, but but as you quite rightly mentioned i mean the, the three of them it's not worth it's not worth bringing up because they, they were never going to play and the one that they did have the option to play they left out sure so but no, if, we, if we're looking in, in no, the broader no, picture about where we're at i get and that. it always accompanies the, a big defeat the big where we're at question there are a lot of players who who are high class test cricketers high class international cricketers who aren't currently available um, Butler, I know, has had an indifferent season, but he's. But I still think he's a pedigree cricketer, and I, you know, I think, I think him and him and Stokes in that side would have would have had an effect. I think, you know, it, it, you are talking about these kind of clutch moments. Day three, when Rowett was batting as as he does, um, and Pajara was immovable. That was a Ben Stokes afternoon. It's the first time I think we've really missed him. Where this side has really missed missed that presence. Um, and look, none of none of this is to try and sort of hide behind excuses by any stretch, because this is a this is a peculiar team whose identity is 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 unclear, and it's probably it's it's as flimsy a top six as I can remember in a long time. In truth, um, but there are also mitigating factors as well. We've we've had quite a few questions about Moeen and Besto. Both of them have been around for, for a long time now, best of nearly a decade. And granted, they've not had much cricket coming into the series and they've done okay at times, but they've got 142 tests between between them. Um, is it time for England to move on from those two at some point quite soon? <laughs> but this comes back to what Butch was saying earlier. If, if there were players in county cricket demanding to be picked, then I think they would have moved on more quickly. To be fair, they have tried to move on. I think they had moved on from Owen. I'm pretty sure they'd moved on from Bairstow when it comes to test cricket. But then there's injuries, there's there's unavailabilities, there's loss of form, and there aren't those players sticking their hand up in counting cricket. So you go back to the guys that have at least at some point got runs and taken wickets in test cricket. And I don't blame them for that. And I wouldn't say either have been a disaster on their return to the side. Um, I'm not sure there's anyone in county cricket who would have done a significantly better job than perhaps Leach rather than Moen and then we go back to the questions of balance so I don't know I, th- I think I think Besto will probably go to Australia I'd expect I, I'm not sure if Moen will really I, th- I think that one's still up for grabs I think maybe he will because there is that lack of spin options but I, I don't see him playing very much in, in the Ashes this winter if at all mm. <sighs> I, I just find it odd that you have Besto all right 
Stokes is not playing, and I think that changes the complexion of it all. But I just find it odd having Bairstow and Butler in the same Test match team. Um, I don't think Johnny B in Test cricket is among the the best three middle order batsmen that England have got, and I think that they prefer Butler as a keeper, as a keeper bat by by a nose. And so my my personal feeling on 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 Bairstow, I could understand why he came back into the side last winter. I can understand why Root wanted him in, but it's been a con- another continuation of what we saw for a long, long time before he was dropped in the first place. Um, I've just brought it up here in the last, well, since the turn of 2019, his highest score in Test cricket is 50, 57, and that's across about 20 Test matches. Look, if you want to be a in that top four, if you want to be in that top four, and you're batting in the gun position at five, five, six in Test cricket. He's unlikely to play the next Test, isn't he? Sorry? He's unlikely to play the next Test match. Well, this is it. That's what I'm going to say. I think Bairstow has has come in as a batsman because Pope was injured, and then he replaced Butler as a keeper because Butler wasn't there, and now Butler and Pope are both there. I expect Bairstow won't play, and I'm not sure there is a better reserve out there to cover those positions than Bairstow. So again, I don't blame them for picking him. Um, And I think when we come to Old Trafford and, and you've got Butler and Pope in there, I think those are the best two players for those mm. positions. Um, it does it does sort of beg the or, or bring up the spectre of Ben Folks, who um, is, is, as many players have done in the past, is benefiting from the fact that he's not playing. Um, you know, because you, you'd have to say that you could imagine that he would score as many runs as, as both Johnny and Joss batting at, at seven, perhaps not higher than seven, but batting at seven. <clears throat> and of course, is a is a superior keeper to them both. So I mean, it kind of it does it raises his stock without him having to play. How often does that happen in English cricket? Always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's why you know when you have as many as many professional cricketers to choose from as we do at any given time, there's all that always happens somewhere and yeah. to somebody. Com- yeah. Yeah. I, I, Com- I, compared David Milan's stock three tests ago when he was out the side to, to now after a couple of eight especially the the good feeling behind folks anyway who I think people yeah. like feel was hard done by people like a kind of silky natural keeper there was that kind of feeling anyway and then when you have a summer like we've had that kind of momentum just mm. just builds um Mark we've got a question from at a butch 58 how can India hope to win at Old Trafford with Ashwin <laughs> <laughs> Yes, typically... He's um, had a good week, is Typically sarcastic <laughs> stuff from, from our... Get a life, Dad. Goodness Uncle sake. Albert. Yeah, Uncle Albert, that's brilliant. That, that was very he good. He's an absolute rigger for Uncle Albert. <laughs> During the war, we used to pick Ashwin. <laughs> um, sure no, I mean, well, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I still I still think it was a mistake, you know, but I mean, the, the beauty of it all is, is that, that Cody can again just turn around and say, listen, we, we got it right. We got it right. Everybody else got it wrong. And, and Ashwin, I'm afraid we're going to see the, the soles of your feet for another five days in a test match. It's, get, it's getting to the point where it's actually quite funny now. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think if, in, if India go, go, go to Old Trafford, where it might, may well spin a lot, and they still don't pick Ashwin, still win, end up winning 3-1. It, That's it, just does, funny. He does these sort of showy <laughs> runs around the boundary, yeah. doesn't he? Whenever he's dropped, he kind of yeah. goes out there, puffs his chest out, and just keeps on running. <laughs> I was, I'm available if selected. I'm available I if waited, selected. I waited down the bottom there on, on day five. Um, I got about, I was told about quarter past nine, we'd get an Indian player for, for an interview in front of uh, day five, and it turned out it was going to be Shardor. So I, I was there ready, waiting, and then sort of, Quarter past came and went, half past came and went, quarter two came and went. It got to five minutes past ten, and I'm supposed to be up on the new on the new terrace up the top, which is spectacular, by the way. Um, 
to do the opening of the show and there's still no sign. Anyway, Shardell comes down apparently having his ankles strapped up and whatever. And just as he was on his way down the stairs, Ashwin ran past me and he kind of came over and said, do you want to come and have a word like this? And he just giggled and ran <laughs> off. <laughs> now that would have been a scoop. Yeah, that would have been a scoop. Sorry put out a really funny tweet. So they presented Ashwin with his cap for his one appearance for Sorry in the County Championship. Um, and just and just mentioned that he took a took a six for thirty nine, and that was at the point in the Test match where England were doing quite well, and India it looked like they might might want another another spinner. Um, before going the rest of the show, but you were part of the Sky coverage this week, um, and your documentary "You Guys Are History" was aired. Um, listeners, if you didn't watch it at the time, you can still watch it on the Sky Cricket YouTube channel. Um, what was it like putting it together, and what what are your thoughts now? Now it's actually gone out to. Um, yeah, it was. It's an incredible thing. A, a, a producer by the name of Patrick Marks, who used to work with Sky, has since gone off and done freelance stuff and has worked on Formula One. Came came up with the idea basically off the back of the you know Ebony and, and, and Mikey's testimony last year and the you know the the the, the conversation that has started and hopefully has not has not disappeared um, since then. And said, wouldn't it be great? You know, the 40th anniversary of um, of Roland Butcher uh, becoming the first black man to play for England. To kind of do a documentary, maybe, you know, celebrating and, and charting the the rise um, and the and the fall of, of sort of black players representing England. So yeah, of course, all over it. Um, and you know, I, I pinged up, you know, pinged off a load of text messages, emails, and whatever to, to get the guys to come and talk. And everybody w- was very keen to talk. However, the interesting thing was, I mean, we kind of we felt that we'd we'd probably get. We'd get stories about sort of, you know, racism encountered, about barriers being put in people's way, about the difficulty of, um, you know, the difficulty of kind of finding, just finding cricket to play in, in certain parts of the country and, and if, you, if you're not part of a private school system. But what we ended up with was an extraordinary, just an utterly incredible um, bunch of interviews, all of which we could turn into, we could turn into sort of standalone, um, standalone half hours. Uh, these guys telling their stories, you know, Chris Lewis. I, I, I spent two and a half hours with Chris in, on a on a stage at Nottingham um, Nottingham uh, Theatre, and it was it was compelling. I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes. He's got tears in his eyes. And and but the thing was, the story was was largely positive. You know, he he comes out everything. You know, considering everything that he's been through, what being in jail and all, all the the mess that he made of his life and the reasons behind that, and he comes out of it with a smile on his face and kind of you know the sort of thought that he would go through the whole thing again, that it was all worth it, you know, just to play the game that he loved, to play for England. All of them were incredibly proud to play and would kind of, you know, would bristle. Um, And you don't want Sid Lawrence bristling at you, I can tell you, at the idea that, they, you know, there was any... There was any sort of feeling that they that they shouldn't have didn't deserve to be picked or if they had been picked didn't have the um, you know the requisite uh, gumption and, and bulldog spirit to, to represent England and stuff so that it was incredible um, the whole experience was incredible and hopefully we've we've kind of we had an hour you know to cut all of these these guys and their their tails down into an hour it was very tough but then I think the narrative kind of stands you know you've got the, the guys who came over as, you know as as Sons and daughters of immigrants in the in the sixties and seventies, um, you know, charting their story to the guys who made it to the very top, and then of course you've got the the British-born black players of, of whom we started to see plenty in county cricket and and representing England in the nineties, and of course now the numbers have have dwindled um, 
to an extraordinary degree. And of course, we've got we have Joffre and we have Chris Jordan sort of representing England at the moment. Tim Al Mills, who knows that might be a that might be another story for the World T20. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a hell of a lot of, of fun is probably not the right word, but it was it was a brilliant thing to be involved in. Mm. Yeah, as I said, couldn't recommend it more. It's on the Sky Cricket YouTube channel, so do check it out. Um, a reminder that we're recording some of our podcasts over the next few weeks from Sixes Cricket Club. If you haven't heard about Sixes, Sixes Cricket Club is the new cricket-themed social entertainment venue with restaurant, bar and cricket nets. All Wisdom podcast listeners can receive 10% off their food and drink by quoting Wisdom 10 on their booking notes. Their Manchester location opened up recently. I would thoroughly recommend going. Um, at the time of recording, England women have played two T20Is against New Zealand. It's one all. England won the first game and lost the second in the opener, Tammy Beaumont fell three short of 100 as England piled on 184. New Zealand didn't really get close in the chase. There was a debut for batting all-rounder Emma Lamb, who scored many, many runs this summer. New Zealand won the second game by four wickets. England's innings never really got going after losing three wickets in the power play. Maya Bouchier on debut hit an important 25 to hold the inning together with Sophia Dunkley. A half-century from Sophie Devine ensured that the Tourists levelled the series. There was um, some astonishing fielding from Maddie Villiers in that game. Um, Sky put out uh, a clip of all four pieces of fielding together. So there was a direct hit to get rid of Susie Bates early on. And there were three brilliant catches, including one off her own bowling, where the replay from the stump stump cam is just amazing because she's still in midair. She's caught the ball and she's smiling directly at the the stump cam, which is which is quite something. She, so yeah, <laughs> she took a couple of absolute blinders when they were in Australia um, just before the virus kicked in, um, and they were they were playing that T Twenty World Cup, and she developed a reputation, Maddie Villiers, as a as a top gun fielder. Um, I don't think I've seen a more natural natural fielder, certainly in English women's cricket, than she. Um, and just a word on on Bouchier, I saw her make that 25 on the Saturday night, got back from the Oval and whacked it on. And um, I don't know too much about her, to be honest, but she she looked like a real classy, classy player. Half Iranian, I believe, um, according to Henry Cowan, who's their media manager I chatted to yesterday. And he, he said, you know, what a, what a talent she is. And he's been watching her closely in the nets and so on. And it's good to see a few new names as well, because it felt like quite a closed shop. Uh, which is not a criticism. There weren't that many players of that kind of standard going around a few years back. But now, of course, post the Kia Super League with the 100 as well, you're starting to see the broadening out of talent a little bit and some new names, which is what the, what the game needs, I think. Villiers has probably got potentially a really key role with the looking ahead to the Ashes as well. When I spoke to Lisa Kitely a couple of weeks ago, she was very keen on kind of on matchups effectively working out how they could counter the challenges that were ahead and she estimated that Australia would have seven left-handers in their in their lineup um and they don't really England haven't really had a a, a top off-break bowler for a little while um they've obviously got Sophie Eccleston they've got Sarah Glenn but Maddie Fillers if she can slot in there and prove herself her fielding is unquestionable but prove herself as a as a front frontline bowler who can offer some handy runs and some brilliant fielding then she could be really crucial for that Ashes mm. tour what was quite interesting, Lisa Carty had an interview on Sky and she was talking about the new additions in the squad and said, and I know the 100 gave um, so much more exposure to women's players who hadn't been playing for England yet, but she said she wanted to reward players who've been doing it for a while in the other domestic competitions as well. Because if you actually watched the 100, to be honest, Dean, Boucher and Lamb wouldn't be the three domestic uncapped players that you'd think were uh, closer to the England squad, but they've been rewarded for, for decent tournaments and doing well in the other competitions, the Hayhoe Flint and the Charlotte Edwards Cup. Um, 
The Charlotte Edwards Cup final happened this weekend. Alice Capsey, who's had a very good summer, was player of the match in the final. The South East Stars beat the Northern Diamonds. Capsey scored an unbeaten 40 in that. Uh, in the county championship, Somerset have lost their opening two Division One games by an innings in both on both occasions. First against Notts, then against Yorkshire. Lancashire Warwickshire in the first round of games was a draw. Josh Bohannon scored 170 for Lancashire. The 24-year-old now, now averages just under 50 in first-class cricket, and there aren't many of them in English cricket at the moment. Um, as we speak, Notts are going pretty well against Lancs on day three in the second round of games. Lancs will be chasing something in excess of 350. Hampshire, after being bowled out for 89 on the opening day against Warwickshire, could well win that game. They bowled Warwickshire out for 116 also on the opening day and will leave them something around 300 to win. Keith Barker scoring 75 from number nine. Um, In a Div 3 game between Middlesex and Sussex, former England openers Sam Robson and Mark Stoneman put on 376 for the first wicket there. Robson ended up... With 253 in Stoneman, 174, a good response after his pair on Middlesex debut. There was a lot of chat, probably more so than usual, about county pitches off the opening day. Um, there were 102 wickets across the eight games on day one, but 99 of them came in seven of the games because Derbyshire Leicestershire only had three wickets on the opening day. And Vaughan, Goff and Warren all kind of piped in saying... This is good for no one. This doesn't prepare anyone for international cricket, which was quite interesting. We've got a question on that, loosely related to that anyway. Stephen asks, there's a lot of focus on the county championship structure, the pitches, the scheduling. Has there ever been a period where the domestic setup was right? The championship had a high profile in the 90s, but England were possibly at their worst for a very long time. Um, But do you want to have a go with that one? (laughs) Yeah, well, um, Groundhog Day. Child of of the 90s. uh, When I started playing first-class cricket, there was a mixture still of uh, three-day and four-day games then, and you'd still split. You'd still split your first class matches with Sunday league games in between. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute debacle. So the fact that we were we were bloody hopeless throughout most of the eighties and nineties is of no surprise to anybody that knows anything about it. Um, I think it was pretty damn good once they switched to to two divisions from from two thousand onwards. Um, very proud to have been in a team that won the last ever last ever sort of uh, all county championship in ninety nine, and then won it again when it was two divisions in two thousand. Um, and I think that. I'm sure we did this last week, but I'm sure the <laughs> dividends were paid. You know, England became the best test side in the world around about, what was it, 2010, 2011. Regained the ashes in, or I say regained, but won the ashes back for the first time in God knows how long um, in 2005. Um, and England were regularly, you know, had a, a pipeline of batters averaging in the, in, the, in the mid to high 40s, some even in the 50s, who were wait, knocking on the door, waiting to get into the team. And... Bowlers who could bowl quickly, spin bowlers who who would be able to bowl thirty overs and and take your fifers and stuff were coming out of our rear roll supposedly, and and that was you know that was the structure. We still played too much and there was still too many bit, bit too much messing around with all the the various one day games and stuff. But as far as the championship is concerned, that was the way to do it. And they also made sure that the pitches were good. They just made sure that the pitches started off and they started off looking slightly white in colour. Then you could have a bit of live grass on them, but not too much. Um, and it kind of chased the, um, the, the medium-paced dobber out of the game. But mm. the medium-paced dobber... They are back with a vengeance. ...comes yeah. back. They always <laughs> like, it's like weeds. They always, if you don't kill them off completely, they, they will come back. And they've been encouraged back into existence in a big way. So, yeah, just to the kind of... 
the divisions and the different opinions in the whole thing make this I mean, it makes it clear that there is no perfect answer because if there was, then everyone would agree on it, right? Or more, the vast majority would. And uh, Lizzie Ammon, for her latest column in the upcoming issue of Wisdom Creek Monthly, has, has kind of looked at the, the uh, championship structure this season and, and asked a few people in the game if they think it works. And predictably, it's a, it's a split. Uh, Mark Wallace at Glamorgan and Paul Nixon at Leicestershire think it's great, really appreciate the opportunities for their players to be tested against uh top players at decent grounds on decent pitches. They don't seem so fussed, interestingly, about the fact that they'll be playing some some dead games. Glamorgan might think in Division 2 they're not dead games. They're pleased to get into that division. Whereas Mark Robinson, who's taken Warwickshire into Division 1, he doesn't think it's a very good thing for the, the so, so-called smaller counties. Well, if they think it's a good thing, then perhaps it is a good thing. It's not really for the person who's not experiencing that to say that it's not. I, a I good think it's thing. harder to argue that it's it doesn't benefit the smaller counties. I mean, it's harder to argue that it's that it's not more meritocratic than it was, um, and undoubtedly, and we all sat around this table, and most people did as well, and and even Emperor Athers said at the start of the season, "I like it. I like this thing. I like that two month slot where everybody's focused on four day cricket and everyone can win it." I think that was a very powerful thing at the time. And I was more engaged in the championship. And I love the championship. It's my favourite version of cricket, but then that's me. Um, I love that. The problem was maybe it was a slightly too stacked in those early, early weeks. And it meant then that those other crucial mid-summer periods, some teams only played one game. Essex only played one game. Some teams only played two games. That means that batsmen aren't, aren't getting, getting a run and international players are coming in undercooked and so on. So... We've spoken about that a lot before. Um, the point about pitches is one, it, it's, not, it's not the silver bullet. It, it, it's not the only answer, but it is, it is undoubtedly uh, a key part of this whole discussion about creating cricketers who can bat all day and get wickets uh, when the pitches are not, not, not working for them. It's undoubtedly a question. When, when he was playing you'd have one or two pitches around the country that would have a reputation. Oh, that, yeah, you know, Taunton turns and it, you know, it swings a bit at Trent Bridge and, you know, you're expecting a result there. But a lot of places, I remember Warwickshire won the league when Nick Knight was there and they won the league with about three wins and 12 draws. Now this feeds the same idea that Joe Root was advocating at the start of the season. More points for the draw makes for grittier, more attritional cricket. It might not bring the punters in, but then they don't really come in anyway. But what it will do is harden cricketers. And it will, if we're being brutal about it, it will sort the wheat from the chaff a little and bit. Then and this is exactly the same. Nothing, there is nothing new under the sun. It's exactly yeah, the same conversation it. we had 20, 25 years ago. And we'll have it next week. And last week. week. And last and week. week. <laughs> but, but, that's, but that's the thing, is that the, whoever, because people, people get confused between the idea of kind of like making it more entertaining for the few people that, that, are, that will go and watch it anyway. And, and, and doing what it's meant to do, which is produce high-quality cricketers. The, the, um, and, and, you know, and I, and, I, and I actually say that, I say that without any reservations, actually. Because I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of not all that interested in the moans and groans of, oh, you know, well, you know, the 30-odd people at, at Grace Road want to see a more entertaining finish on, on day two. Not interested. Don't no, care. Indeed, indeed. Go, go and, uh, watch the T Twenty for that. Watch the watch watch the hundred for that. Watch the fifty over game yeah. for that. And and I would also say that there are very few captains around the game now because the culture of the game has changed and evolved. Who are happy just to sort of bat out bat out a final day? 
well, you don't see as much negativity in in first class cricket in England as 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 you used to, or not negativity, pragmatism or safety first approaches. Teams are still broadly wedded to putting on a show on the final day, and you see that in Test cricket as well. Captains are more likely to live a little in Test cricket, and I think that kind of attitude may be a consequence of one day cricket as well. But I think that's filtered down. So I don't think I don't think it would it, making better pitches, harder pitches to crack, results in you know, deathly cricket for four days straight. I just don't see it like that. And also, in brackets, our players aren't kind of built to play four-day cricket. So so give them as many of the tools as possible. Um, I've spoken to captains and they know what the groundsmen are going to produce and it will, it will suit what that team requires at that point in their season. Well, there needs to... It's hard, but there needs to be something broader at play. There needs to be a more kind of... <sighs> Yeah, a, a bigger thing at work here than simply the short-termism as, as uh, you know, what what can, what can we get out of this week on that track? Mm. Um, just quickly on knots, I, mean, I know we've touched them a couple of times this season, but they went on a three-year run without winning a game, and now they're two from two in Division One, which is mm. really quite something. And yeah, that's I without think, broadening their side. I think some side. of us might have shouted that this could be this year at the beginning. Possibly, possibly. Ken going really well in Division 3, by the way. Yeah, I thought um, that <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Someone shouted um, for Lancashire at the start of the season. They're good. doing all right. Very, um, Just, sorry. very, very briefly, yeah. um, you mentioned Harry Brook earlier and Tom Abel was two possible bolters for the winter. Again, Joe Clark made 60-odd in this current current game. You spoke to him, right, recently? Was no, I spoke to Peter Moores about him. Right. I, I, I had a question for you about players like Clark actually so Clark's had a really weird season in that he's actually looked in pretty good touch in in the Red Bull stuff but he keeps getting out between 40 and 60 why does that sometimes happen for players um yeah well I don't know having not seen having not seen any of it it's difficult to speculate but I mean, you can, you can have, particularly given circumstances where the ball is, is doing a lot all of the time, you can kind of just get one, can't you? You can be playing really well, and because you're playing really well, you're able to make starts and all that kind of stuff. But it's really difficult when the ball is constantly jagging and sing, seeming and swinging to turn all of those into, into hundreds, because at some point you get one with your name on it. Um, in, in, in different times, in times that we were talking about before, where you know where people were scoring big runs and you... You, and, you, and the game had periods in it. You'd see off the new ball, then you'd get your rewards, then it might reverse swing or it might spin, whatever. You kind of, you know, the game had its stages then. Then it would be a case of, well, how's his game against spin? Is it spin that's been getting him out? Once he gets in, he's got no problem against the new ball, but the spinners kind of tie him down and he gives his wicket away. Is it simply he has a, a you know, difficulty with concentration, is more interested in the big shot than the beginnings? Those would be the questions, but I can't, I can't the odd, speculate because I don't know. I haven't odd, seen him. The odd thing with Clark as well, I mean, I haven't seen enough of him this year to comment on that, but earlier in his career, he got a lot of hundreds and a lot of low scores. So he's, I mean, 17 first-class hundreds and he's what, still only, he's what, 25? 20, 25, yeah. yeah. Just at 25. So it's obviously, it's something that's changed. Uh, he didn't used to have an issue with going through to big scores. Um, but yeah, he's, he remains an, an intriguing, enigmatic player who I think we're still kind of waiting to see if he, if he ever gets to where he was expected to be. Yeah, I, I'm really interested because he's had the kind of season where he turns two of those into hundreds. Suddenly people are going like, what about Clark? Look at his numbers. But he yeah, quite I mean, so so he'd, he'd turn around and go, well, look, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd rather sort of be getting 40, 50, 60 every game than because you're right, you, you get 200s at the back end of it and suddenly you've averaged 45 for the season. You've had a good summer, haven't mm. you? So, but it's not, it, it's a difficult one to criticise people for when you, mm. when you haven't seen 
you don't know whether there's a pattern in what's been going on in this game. I, I he watched, can play. I watched um, the highlights of Harry Brooks' innings. Um, as you said, you mentioned him earlier, made a really good, quick hundred in a big game against Somerset. Where no one else got 32 by yeah. the point he came yeah. in, in the whole game. It was interesting to watch. And obviously he had a great 100, didn't he? And a brilliant blast. I think he's averaging 60 plus in 20 over cricket and 100 ball cricket. Um, so he's, And he's made 200s now in first class cricket and 650s in 12 games this year, right? So they are good numbers. In current cricket, they are really good numbers. The only thing that struck me though as well, and I'm, a, I'm excited about the kid, England under-19s captain and so on. He bats again in his own way. He's another player who plays who plays in his own distinct style, like a Lawrence, right? Like a kind of unorthodox sort of player. Um, someone like Joe Clark is more of a classicist. Joe Clark has kind of echoes of Bell, echoes of Pope in the way that he plays. Um, he can turn it on in white ball cricket as well. But watching those two go through their careers, it'd be interesting to see how much... How much leeway, say, a Harry Brook gets if he gets into a, into an England setup? Um, because I have a theory that if you do it in a certain way, you're given a little bit more leeway than if you do it in your own way. If you do it in the way that the straight lines way, which suits the English eye as much as the English t- temperament and culture, be interesting to see how Harry Brook goes. Now, I think he's, he's a good player from what I've seen, I and mean, increasingly it seems like he's. He's cracked te- county cricket. If he goes further, how much how much rope do we give a player who does it their own way? You know, it's very much a product of the modern game. Mm. Be interesting to see how it well, goes. It's for another it's for another podcast, but I do think it's quite interesting how people talk about Pope and Lawrence, and then also Sibley and Hamid. I think they're like in actual output pretty similar pairs of cricketers, but the way in which you talk about them. But yeah, that's for another podcast. Mm. Um, Joe, what's your moment of the week? So my moment of the week was um, for the county files that we do each month in the magazine, where we have a story on every county, every each one of the 18 counties. Uh, and I had a chat with uh, Jacob Bethel at Warwickshire, who is a young cricketer with a serious reputation behind him already, despite only being 17. He's currently captaining the England under-19s in their series against West Indies. He got runs in the first game and a win and um, wickets in the second. Uh, top order left-hand batsman, uh, left arm spinner, brilliant fielder. Warwickshire are very excited. I think he might be the best player to come through since Ian Bell there, which you know is a, is is talking him up. But his his backstory is interesting and I guess raises some questions about cricket in the Caribbean in general. And he was born in Barbados. Um, he was actually spotted by Mike Powell, the former Warwickshire captain, who was out there um, when he was teaching at Loretto School as as their director of cricket. Spotted him. Came back, Powell then went to rugby school, kind of prestigious independent school in Warwickshire, has close links to Warwickshire, and then was instrumental in giving Bethel a, a scholarship to come over, study at rugby, and get got him on the academy at Warwickshire. This was before he was even in his teens. So this is kind of similar-ish to the kind of Jordan Archer story of, of the private school system in England, cherry-picking the best talent from the Caribbean, but doing it almost a decade earlier in the case of Bethel. Uh, look, obviously, no blame attached to, to to Jacob at all whatsoever, and and no blame really to to Warwickshire either. They they want to make their club as as successful and have as many exciting players as as possible. But it must be if his career follows the trajectory that everyone seems to think it will, who's seen him play, uh, it will be a 
bitter pill to swallow for for the West Indies to see this kid who was who was born and raised. He learned his cricket at the Franklin Stevenson Academy in Barbados. He's still kind of in touch with with Stevenson, but he says England's very much home now. He he only goes back to see his family. He came over on his own as well. He's, he's a boarder at rugby school. And he's what 12, 11, 12? He's, well, he's when he when he came not now. That is precocious. <laughs> no, when he came over, you say pre-teen. I think he's twelve. I think he's twelve. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's only well, I mean, 17 now. So, yeah, he's doing his second year A-levels next year. So, he might he won't be available for all first-team cricket, but he's already made an impact this year. He, he debuted in the Blast, did okay. Then the 50-over comp, he, he took, I think, fourth for on his, on his debut uh, and then hit a rapid half-century against Yorkshire. So, he's already doing it. He's not just getting a few games. He's already doing it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely one to keep an eye on in the years ahead. And quite an exciting England under-19 team, actually. Quite often when an England under-19 squad's announced, there aren't that many get names that you recognise. Whereas in this case, quite a lot of them actually have played first-team first cricket um, this summer. So they're, they're 2-0 up currently against West Indies. They won the second game by one wicket. Uh, so that was obviously very exciting. Um, just a quick round-up of the other things happening in international cricket at the moment. Um, Bangladesh and New Zealand have been playing T20Is this week. Bangladesh are 2-1 up in a very, very low-scoring series. Two sub-100 scores so far. New Zealand were bowled out for just 60 in the opener. There are two games left of that series. Some news related to Bangladesh. Tammy Mikbal has out- opted out of the T20 World Cup, citing a lack of game time as he recovers from a knee injury. Um, he said he didn't think it would be fair on the players who have played in the last 15 or 16 matches when he hasn't played, but said he was actually fit. So not quite sure what to make of that. Um, South Africa and Sri Lanka are contesting uh, an ODI World Cup Super League series. It's currently 1-1 at the moment. Um, actually a very important series in the context of World Cup qualification. Centuries from Avishka Fernando and Yanaman Milan proving pivotal in the first two games. Milan averages 104 after nine ODIs, 300s in that time. Um, and on the eve of the T20 World Cup, Pakistan's head and bowling coaches, Miss Balhak and Wakar Yunus, have resigned, Miss mm. Bar said, considering that I've had to continue to spend considerable time away from my family and that too in biosecure environments, I've decided to step down from the role. I understand that the timing may not be ideal, but I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind for the upcoming challenges and it makes sense for someone fresh to step in and take the side forward. There's a good thread on Twitter on the previous times there have been last-minute leadership changes for Pakistan before a major tournament. It's actually gone pretty well on almost every occasion. Yeah. Any um, idea who might be taking over? Uh, I think Saklane and Abdul Razak are taking That's, temporary. I heard that. Um, yeah. Take t- temporary control for the for the series, the New Zealand series. I think before the tournament, but nothing's been announced. That's what for the they said. So. They will choose someone closer to the time for the World <laughs> Cup. It was next month. There's not much time, <laughs> not much time. to go. Not, not yeah, they'll probably win it. UAE as well. So I know. I mean, them. genuinely, that's yeah. like written in the stars. For them. Um, and, they, and that announcement came on the same day as they announced their. World Cup squad as well so here are your players I'm not sure they're coaches yet but here are the players um, anyway that's all time all the time we have for today's show cheers Phil cheers Joe cheers Butch this has been the Wizard Cricket Weekly Podcast um, tell your friends and we'll be back next week cheers Podcast Network.